Here we are, March the 27th, 2016. This is a special First Fruits lecture because this is the feast day of First Fruits. It is not Easter. Please don't make that mistake. There's just way too much now to know. Uh, and that no longer is acceptable, frankly. This is First Fruits. It's one of God's feast days. He has seven of them. He made sure that he would resurrect on this one. It has no relationship at all to Babylon or Estra, Ashtoreth or Easter or Easter, whatever you may choose to call it. There is no relationship. It is a feast day, and it's critical that you know that. It's destructive if you don't. I know that sounds strong, but it is a very, very grievous error. Now, I realize that most of you have come and invited all your friends, okay, both of your friends, and you, uh, I know where they are. I found them already. I won't look at them. Does it make them uncomfortable like I usually do to all the friends? Mm-hmm. Make sure they go first in the buffet line. That's one of the one of the uh, uh, one of the warm things we do for visitors. But I know that many have come expecting that uh, this is a cliffside first fruits lecture, and it is. And you have the usual expectations for that, and that being, if you've not come before, that being a discussion on why and how the whole of creation, the universe, is expanding at an accelerating rate. That is what you were expecting, and you knew that I would do that. As you know, the entirety of the universe, as we can determine, and we can determine a lot now scientifically, the entirety of the universe is flying apart. It is being pulled apart, if you will. It is speeding away, it is accelerating from our galaxy. The Milky Way galaxy, almost as far as we can determine, is in the midst of the universe expanding outward at an accelerated rate. I keep repeating that acceleration aspect. It is speeding up. I'm doing that for a purpose. As near as we can determine, we have galactocentricity with respect to the Milky Way galaxy. So now, questions start to fly out. Why hasn't this cosmic acceleration been arrested by gravitational force? Because gravitational force should have mitigated this, and it has not. You've all been asking that, I know. Or you haven't. I know that too. And you probably came to Cliffside today under the assumption that you're humble and meek. And did I say humble, professional religious person would resolve this great mystery because it is a great mystery of the stretching out of the universe. And you thought I would do it today because it is applicable to first births. And I am going to resolve this great mystery today, much to the delight of the astrophysics community who has no solution and admittedly will tell us they have no solution. In all humility, I have resolved this. The answer is obvious, especially to me. Again, why didn't gravity collapse the universe? Obviously, if you have a Big Bang cosmology, which I do not have, by the way, I have nothingness into something, not requiring an explosion. But if you have Big Bang cosmology, they say the explosion caused this natural explosive reaction. 
why didn't gravity uh, uh, pull all of that back in and collapse it? Gravity is an attractive force. Again, let me repeat, I do not believe it was an explosion. An explosion does not accurately explain what is going on in the universe. Gravity as an attractive force should have apprehended the universe long ago and began sucking it back together. That is not happening. It is not happening. It's important that you know. Because of first fruits. Because of today. So the physicists, I'm sorry, the physicists, I, uh, I'm selling Coca-Cola on the Internet. Ah, so far, excuse me, <coughs> Coca-Cola has not affected me. I am going, however, to persevere. At some point, they won't be able to ignore it. And we will reap the financial benefit of that and fix the roof so that when it collapses, it doesn't collapse on us. Anyway, the, the physicists have many premises, about four or five. I'll give you the four that are the most, uh, uh, that are mostly rendered out there. Dark energy. You've all, I'm sure, heard of dark energy. That is the premise that the physicists, the astrophysicist community has, saying that uh, dark energy is somehow in competition with gravity and has uh, in, enabled this expansion of the universe. They also have quintessence. You don't want to know about quintessence, but that's essentially kinetic energy and potential energy and unseen, undeterminable particle. Everyone was familiar with the search for the Higgs boson. When I say everyone, I mean four or five of you. This is another unseen particle that uh, they are saying if this particle exists and it moves, then it has potential energy and it has kinetic energy or moving. If I have a bowling ball and I'm rolling it down the hill, for example, the bowling ball has uh, potential energy and kinetic energy, the energy of rolling and the potential that it is accumulating, much like a battery. They also have uh, vacuum energy or what's called empty space energy. And mostly, however, they believe that gravity is not the same anymore everywhere, that it's modified gravity. By modified gravity, they mean that as it, as it gets further out into the universe, it repulses instead of accelerates or attracts, I'm sorry. So all of those are their mostly, those are those uh, four that are mostly being utilized, and they have all kinds of devices now find their, dark, their beloved dark energy. I don't believe they will ever find their beloved dark energy because I don't believe it exists. That makes me an anomaly. By the way, that and most of the other things in my life. But all of this is an attempt to explain this mysterious force that is causing the universe to fly apart. They, know, they don't know what it is. But of course, they willfully ignore that there exists one book written thousands of years ago that talked about the expanding of the universe, the stretching out of the universe as if it is a membrane. In other words, like a piece of plastic wrap uh, being stretched out. One book did that. 
and it starts in Psalms 104, and it is in Isaiah 44, 45, and 50, among other places. One book describes this that is occurring in your lifetime. And it's not a surprise, I hope it's not a surprise, that in the New Testament of this one book oops, is a description or an explanation of Psalms 104, Isaiah 44, 45, and 51. Sorry, I put 50. So, Jesus Christ says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He says, I am all the time. You need to remember and tell your children and your friends that I am means God. He says, I am the I am. That's an Exodus 3 reference. I am. Does it over and over and over again. Hundreds and hundreds of times. Probably thousands and thousands of times. We have no idea. We just know what was recorded. I am the light of the world, he says. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I am the light of life. My jacket is making noise because my girthitude is causing that. This button has a pin on it. Why? What force caused the button to pop off? We'll never know. It's a great mystery. <laughs> Fortunately, the phone cannot pick up the audience. We have technology to keep that from happening. Much to their dismay, by the way. I am the light of life. And so, last Sunday I quickly discussed this. He is talking about Genesis. First, he's telling you, I am the I am, which means that I am always in the present tense, which means that he is outside of time and he is the author of time. He is the one who made time. That's what I am means. No one else can do what he does. That's why he calls himself always in the present tense. He's omniscient. But he also, on with that, calls himself the light of life. And that is a Genesis one three reference where the light comes to darkness. You see it here as well. He puts the light of life as contrasted with the utter darkness of death. The, the first mention being in Genesis one three. So I have life and death side by side both in Genesis one three and John eight twelve. That's not a coincidence. There are none in Scripture. There's no happenstance. You find those references, they are always uh, to connect, to be interconnected one to another. There is no chance in the Bible. So what did Christ mean when he called himself the light of life? By the way, who else in all of history has ever called themselves this? Nobody. The light of life causes physical matter to take form in Genesis 1-3. That's light that caused life to explode where there was just darkness and void. The light of life then uh, brings life out of nothingness 
we know, the physicist community knows without any dispute that your physical reality, if you wish, the chair you're sitting in, the pen you're holding, the cup you're drinking from, your body, your, your every physical essence, the physicists know that that is congealed light energy. Unmistakably proven. Which means that they will say to you, there really isn't any physical reality. You perceive congealed or condensed or compacted light energy as physical reality. And the laws, the ubiquity of the laws that govern this physical realm have led you to make conclusions that aren't accurate. Anyway, life, the light of life brings life. And there you have the law of biogenesis. You cannot have life except from life. An inviolable law. Life does not come from non-life. It can only come from life. And the Bible says, the light of life begat light. I'm sorry, begat life. And eternal living souls are now molded into physical bodies. That's what we are, what you are. You are an eternal living soul and you are in activity with your physical body. The breath of life fills the body. The primal light, by the way, he calls himself the light of life. That means that he is the primal not primeval, but the first light, as opposed to the second light, which is particle or photon light, if you will. There is a distinction between primeval light, the light of life, and the photon light. He does not call himself sunlight. He calls himself the light of life. And we are examples of that light bringing living souls, intrinsic souls, uh, with our bodies, but distinct from our bodies. We have body, we have soul. He never calls us a body. He always calls us a living soul. You are not your body. You are always your living soul. And Christ is declaring himself, therefore, obviously at John eight twelve, to be who? Creator God. He's not stuttering. The creator of all life. And there are great mysteries. I'll rattle them off. I was going to put them on the board. But I don't have time. There are great mysteries. Christ is to himself to be creator. And he is saying that I am the one that is causing the stretching out of the membrane of the universe and causing it to accelerate. I am the causing force. And that, of course, that is a mystery of not just the stretching out of the universe, why he's doing it, but it's also the mystery of gravity, gravitational phenomenon. We don't understand it. We may never understand it. We can describe it. That's all we not figure out how gravity works. That's why it becomes so important to, to study these kinds of things, because they always lead you to the designer of the system. The non-material mind and the material brain is another mystery. We can't solve how the mind and the brain work. We know that the mind takes over the brain. The brain is merely a physical mass of machinery. Somehow you, your consciousness, your non-physical entity that is your personhood, takes over this physical mass, your brain. And they work in concert. The origin of life we don't understand or know, we don't know the mystery of the origin of life. We speculate as a culture and we speculate wrongly. We 
to wonder about the meaning of life, therefore. The origin and the meaning are, cannot be separated. The construction of the physical realm is another great mystery. The ex- existence of the spiritual reality, another mystery. The origin of good and evil, another mystery. Mankind has wrestled with these and other mysteries for thousands of years from the first man, but the greater mystery is none of these. These of the others' answers have been written down. All of them are in one book, same book. All of the answers there, no exceptions. Who has done these things and why has become evident on those that I rattled off. How exactly, specifically, some of that remains. But who was the creator and why he creates is laid before us in the Bible. We don't have to wrestle with that so much. John 8.12 makes it very clear that the greater mystery that renders those that I just listed as secondary by comparison. John 8.12 says there's two opposites, two opposites, absolute opposites, walking in darkness and having the light of life. The light that causes life is the opposite of walking in darkness, the white light, if you will. It does not look like what you think. The white light or the light of life or the primable light look like what you think light is. And this is the mystery of First Timothy 3.16, the unsolvable mystery of the seed of the woman, Genesis 3.15. Controversy, Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy with the guiding of the Holy Spirit. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached into the Gentile nations, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Now, there's a whole bunch of those things right there. Let's, this is the greatest mystery ever given to man. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached unto the Gentile nations, believed on in the world, received up in glory. The greatest mystery of all time given to us. The mystery of the infinite God adding perfect humanity and materializing I have the infinite, invisible Spirit God adding humanity and demonstrating Himself in the physical reality. The invisible God incarnate. How do you explain that? Just that. It's unexplainable. Infinity in the appearance of finity. Does that make sense? But it doesn't end there. Notice that God was seen by angels. What's implied with that? I submit that it is obvious that the angels had a lack of understanding. Until Christ came, until God came, in the likeness of man, angels did not understand who God was very well. They had a knowledge issue. Now, is there a difference between Michael and the angels and the cherubim? 
of whom Satan was the highest and most anointed. Yes, cherubim are not called angels. They're called living creatures. How about the seraphim? The angels, of which one-third fell, saw God adding humanity. What's meant by received up in glory? Whenever you see the word glory, you should think Shekinah glory, which is the white light, by the way. Because you see, this is the point of today. First fruits, the feast day that Jesus Christ chose to resurrect himself. Jesus Christ resurrected himself. Make no mistake. The Father resurrected. The Holy Spirit resurrected. And Christ resurrected himself. The entirety of the triune Godhead involved in the resurrection as we should expect. John 1, 19 through 21. Of all the days, of all the months, and of, and of any and all years, Jesus Christ chose this feast day of first fruits to resurrect himself. And then 40 days from first fruits, he cho- chooses to ascend to his throne and is received up in glory. And he what does that mean? It's a great mystery. And what, was, what exactly was preached to the Gentile nations? What did it, well, because they got, it was preached, something was preached. Was it how to balance your checkbook, how to mow your grass, how to wear some wonderful hats here today. Usually I give out huge prizes for hats. Two of you knew that. Three, sorry. All from the same family. It's a conspiracy. No, we're supposed to preach the Godhood of Christ in His resurrection. We're supposed to preach the light of life in the resurrection. That's what's preached to the Gentile nations. We're not supposed to have fertility events hunting down eggs and rabbits. Will the pastor's wife down in the basement, the bowels of this building, be having rabbits and, well, not chickens, but rabbits and eggs? No, she won't, I hope. No, she won't. She will have candy. She will make sure every child gets at least three pounds of candy in the 30 minutes that I'm digging. It's her mission in life to spread torment to her children. It's called revenge. It's working. My goodness, it's incredible, the plan. Again, we are to preach to the nations the resurrection and the Godhood of Christ, the light of life and the resurrection. Why is God's own resurrection so significant? Because it is. Your resurrection, my resurrection, essentially meaningless. No offense, it's not about you. It's never about you. If you're reading the Bible trying to find you, you are in error. You're supposed to find Him. The Bible testifies of Him. Are you in the Bible? Yes. Most of the time it's not good. But to search for you is 
narcissistic senselessness. Why is God's own resurrection so very significant? Why is his own resurrection such a great mystery? How did it happen? Paul, the Holy Spirit through Paul, who wrote this in 1 Timothy 3.16, also wrote 1 Corinthians 15.12-9, where he says, Without the resurrection of Christ, our faith is empty, meaningless, void, and we are the most miserable, hopeless, We are discussing today the physical death and the physical resurrection of Creator God Himself. Consider the implications of that. It is the greatest of all mysteries. We know barely what happened. We know nothing of how it happened. We know a little something of why it happened. But to believe he did what he did results in the gift of the light of life. The white light. The mystery of the indwelling. Colossians 1.26.27 You notice I'll look at the camera every now and then. I've been ordered to do so. Please look at the camera, they tell me. I did... I did this last Sunday, too, to no avail. But I'm resilient and I'm persevering. And some people laughed last week, and comedy is hard, so I'm repeating it. But I got that out of the way. Does that thing bother me? Oh, yeah, it bothers me. There's no question about it. I do not have the physicality of uh, someone who should be on television, much less uh, seen at all. We know barely what happened when God resurrected himself. The triune God resurrected the second person of the triune God. All of them involved in it. The physical death and the physical resurrection of God. How does that happen? Again, think about the physical death aspect of it perfect, infinite, omnipotent being. What does it take? So we barely know what happened and, and how it happened. Not a clue. And again, maybe we got a little bit of why it happened. But to believe what he did gives us salvation and gives that gift of light inside of us, indwelling in us. And we should be grateful. Our appreciation should be discernible. It should be observable. We should have thankfulness that we, great, depraved, sinning, miserable sinners in need of mercy, we get the light of life. And we get it with a mental, spiritual act of belief. Not with a physical act, but with a spiritual act. How much does the light of light cost? I've asked that many times in different ways. How much is the light of life worth? What does it cost you? Why does it cost you and me and your children nothing? Because it is of infinite value. Do the math. So I'm concluding today. This is where most people cheer. 
and we're finally or concluding with the hope that all of us treasure God's mysteries and think about them because they're all interconnected. When you get the mystery of the universe accelerating, you will begin to find the mystery of the incarnation and the indwelling and the mystery of godliness start. When you get the mysteries of good and evil, when you get the mysteries of the seed of the woman, when you get all of those mysteries and you think about them, which is a non-physical act, it is a mental act, you spiritually consider the mysteries of God, here comes the solution to why He resurrected Himself on first fruits, which we're celebrating today. I will say that it gives me great sadness that the church today, the contemporary church, does not know how to think great sadness. It is a relatively rare event. It is relatively recent. There's no discussion of the mysteries. There's no discussion of the complexities. And that is a great tragic shame predicted in Revelation, by the way. I hope that you will not be them whoever they are. I want you to do what God commands us to do. Reason through in Hebrews. Spiritual activities when accompanied by truth leads to wisdom. Wisdom leads you to the light of life. 